Hello, fellow RVers, and welcome to the RV Connects podcast. As always, I'm Melina, and I am joined by my hunk of hunk of burning love of almost 18 years, Dan. Hello, folks. And we are here to share RVing tips, tricks, reviews, and stories that teach you how to make the most of your time on the road, gain confidence, and spread your wings as RVers, hopefully to exciting and far-off places, which we really want to hear about. You can get in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram at RV Connects or contact us through our website at rvconnects.com. Tell us where you're at on the RVing journey. Share some of your stories, maybe some of your favorite places to camp and ask us all the things you want to know. Today, we mark a milestone with episode six. Apparently, most podcasts only last five episodes on average or so Dan tells me. So this feels like a huge deal. It's a lot of fun and we're really enjoying it. And we're just glad that we have listeners to keep going. So thank you for joining us on this journey. On today's episode, we're sharing 10 things you really need to know about your RV or travel trailer. If you're new to the scene or maybe like us upgraded from a tent or a tent trailer to a larger rig. So Dan, where should we start? When we picked up our trailer, we had the benefit of a really good walkthrough. The salesman probably spent two or three hours with us and he walked us through nearly every major component of the trailer. He talked about the slide out, the awning, the outdoor kitchen, the hot water tank. He talked about the toilets. He talked about all the little things that you have questions about and he gave us a really great walkthrough and i would say if you're going to buy a trailer used hopefully the previous owner is there to walk you through it if it's on the private resale market and if you go to a dealership to purchase a trailer think about the service aspect and the walkthrough as you're making your decision it's not all about price Mm -hmm. I think what we're going to talk about today is generalities. Every trailer is going to be a little bit different. Things are going to be located in different parts of the trailer. Things are going to be different sizes. So this is really a high-level overview. I think one really good resource is Google. And I think another great resource that I use all the time is YouTube, just to refresh myself on certain procedures and certain functioning of certain devices, you know, whether I'm winterizing or summarizing or just need to know how something works. You can usually watch a two or three minute video on YouTube. And I think that's important too, like particularly if you've bought a used trailer that may be a number of years old that you may not have the manual for it. You can usually find that on the internet somewhere. Just Google it and a lot of the times you can find a lot of that documentation online. And I would say one other thing Thing that I would say before we dig into like the nuts and bolts of the episode is something that kind of didn't occur to us. Now I took a ton of notes and we had the, like Dan said, the benefit of a really, really thorough walkthrough, but a lot of people are asking permission to like say videotape on their phones, the walkthrough. So that's something that they can go back and refer to later. So that's something that you might want to think about when you pick up a travel trailer new from a dealership. Yeah. And the other thing I would encourage everybody to do is to just keep your manuals in one spot for the manuals that you do have in a nice little pouch. We keep them in the same cupboard that we keep the laundry detergent and the towels. And if you need to look up something at nine o'clock on Friday night, because it doesn't seem to be working right, you know exactly where to go to get it. Like the oven. We literally just did this. We've owned our trailer for what, five years, four years? Yeah, five? four or five years. And we had an issue with the oven um, when we were camping last weekend. So we have like a zippered pouch that has all all of the manuals in it. Now we were able to find our answer really quick. So yeah, I think we just needed a quick refresher on how to relight the pilot for mm-hmm. it. And you know, it worked well and we still have our eyebrows. Yeah, cool. So what are we starting with? Let's talk about the fresh water system. If you're 
pulling into, say, a provincial campground, somewhere where you're not going to have a freshwater hookup and you want to fill your freshwater holding tank. When you arrive and you begin to fill the freshwater holding tank, put some water in there. And once you've done that, I would encourage everybody to go into the trailer and turn on the water pump. And what that allows is it begins the process of filling up the hot water tank. Because what you'll find is if you don't turn on the water pump and fill up the hot water tank as you're filling your fresh water tank, when you arrive at your campsite and you set up and you turn on your water pump, immediately six to seven gallons of your fresh water is going to go straight to your hot water tank and you're going to be down six to seven gallons of fresh water. Mm -hmm. Which if you're camping with any more than two people like you will go through that water quite quite rapidly yeah the other thing i would say is there isn't always a necessity to pre-fill your trailer at home with water and bring it with you perhaps if you're dry camping perhaps if you're boondocking but if you're going to a park with full hookups you don't need to fill your fresh water tank if you're going to a provincial park most of those organized campgrounds in a provincial park will have a freshwater filling station. And so when you pre-fill at home, you could be traveling down the highway with an extra 300 pounds of water that you don't need. Mm -hmm. Particularly if you're close to your towing limit, it can certainly make a difference in the quality of your tow, your you know, fuel mileage, all that kind of stuff. And I think we say this because we do, we do have a fair amount of US listeners. So thank you. And what we have noticed is that we listen to a ton of podcasts ourselves. We love podcasts. And we have noticed that a lot of the advice from Americans who are traveling to Canada to camp here is that you must fill up. For some reason, there's like this preconception that we don't have water here or we don't have water filling stations at our at our campgrounds. We do. Unless you are dry camping, you will have a fresh water filling station or an accessible location within the park to fill up. So you do not need to travel full, particularly across the border. You'll make better time. It'll just make it a whole lot easier. You'll get to whip up to the park, fill up the filling station if you don't have full hookups and be on your way. And I think, you know, the opposite is kind of true, maybe for Canadians going south, we've certainly experienced the availability of water in some state parks hasn't been. It hasn't been what we've expected. I think our rookie trip across the border, we went to Letchworth State Park, which is just outside of Buffalo, about an hour or so. And we arrived late at night, assuming that it would have a filling station just like a provincial park. And it doesn't. It turns out that after a Google search at 11 o'clock at night and a little bit of stress that... And three trips around the campground. They don't need to know everything. Yes, they do. (laughs) That you fill up at the water tap that's in the campground loop and we didn't know that and we probably should have phoned ahead and checked that kind of thing out we have traveled through colorado and parts of the midwest southwest and you can fill up fresh water at a gas station you can fill up fresh water at a tourist information authority and so everywhere in the u.s for us at least has not been a consistent experience of where to fill up water now granted in the u.s if we stay at an rv resort with full hookups it's never been an issue Mm -hmm. long road trips sometimes we do travel with just a little bit of water in the fresh water tank not filled up it's just enough to wash hands and use the flush, toilet flush the toilet on the road that kind of thing but certainly we i don't think we've ever traveled with a full tank of fresh water mm-hmm. i think the last thing i would tell you and this is the thing that i usually do is we begin the hitch up procedure at the campground and we're coming home on sunday night at the end of a great weekend as we're finishing that off i go underneath the trailer and i find the low point drain and i drain all of the fresh water out of the trailer because Mm -hmm. there's no need to bring the water home because all you're going to do is dump it out in your driveway so you might as well just dump it out as you go and you're not polluting it's straight tap water now let's talk about flood control (laughs) (laughs) another rookie mistake 
if you've got young kids and they're part of the experience of packing up the trailer and getting ready, it's always possible that while they're in the trailer, they perhaps bump a tap or turn something on and don't turn it off. And so you'll remember that I reminded you to turn on your water pump when you begin filling your fresh water tank. And for us, what had happened is one of the girls had been in the trailer being helpful, bumped a tap, left it on, and I turned on the the pump and we were filling the hot water tank and at the same time we were just overflowing the sink in the bathroom and water was getting onto the floor and we didn't realize that. So now when we arrive somewhere, we send one of the girls in to go check all of the taps to make sure that they're all off so that we don't have an unfortunate leak. Well, I think one of the girls was, I mean, it's great for them to be involved and they should be involved at a very young age. I think it's great to teach them the responsibility and, you know, that kind of family team dynamic that everyone has a job. But I think they were particularly trying to be helpful in that when we, when we travel, I take the drain out of the bathroom sink and I, and I put it in the cupboard so that it's not the solid drain like it doesn't fall in the sink and get stopped so that if something opens up, we don't end up with an overflowing sink because those sinks are tiny. And I think one of the girls was trying to be helpful and like put it in. Now the saving grace in that situation is the park we were at. It was almost like a hill where the filling station was. It was an old park. So luckily the water kind of overflowed the sink, ran down over the cupboard, but then it ran right underneath the shower And underneath the shower, it's almost like an open, it's open to the underbelly of the trailer. So then it just pretty much was like a river and it went down underneath the trailer and out of the underbelly. So it wasn't as bad of a catastrophe as you would imagine that it would be. I mean, it takes an extra step to go in there and the girls kind of roll their eyes like, oh, that happened once. And you're, yes, every time we make you do it because um, nobody wants to have to deal with that on their trip. I think another thing I talk to people about is sanitize your fresh water. So There's a procedure for winterizing your trailer, but in the summer or the spring when you start your camping season, when it comes out of storage, you need to get the RV antifreeze out of your lines. And so there is a procedure for that in your manual. It's largely just involves a lot of water. And what you do is you hook up your fresh water to the city connection and you flush out all of your taps and you let it run for a long time until there's no more pink or RV antifreeze coming out and it it looks like good, clear, cold water. And smells like good, clear, cold water. Then you need to fill up your freshwater holding tank several times and drain that out. Most likely in your manual, you will find a procedure for sanitizing your lines. And it's going to vary slightly by trailer or by RV. But what it involves is pouring a quantity of bleach into your freshwater holding tank, filling your freshwater holding tank, and then circulating that mixture through the trailer until you have the slight tinge of bleach coming out of your taps. Then you turn your taps off and you let it sit. Now there's a prescribed time for that. For our trailer, it's eight hours. And after eight hours, I go drain all the water out and I flush it all out. But at least we have the peace of mind that the entire system has been sanitized and that the taps and the pipes don't have old stagnant water in them. And for that process, you bypass the water heater, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't want that bleach stuff going in the water heater. It doesn't, it heats up to such a hot temperature that it doesn't need to be sanitized anyway. So you kind of want to bypass that and there'll be specific instructions in your trailer on how to bypass the water heater before you do that. So that's one point. And, you know, we use, we drink the water, we use it for brushing our teeth and stuff. And the last thing you want is like Legionnaire's disease to (laughs) accompany you home from your trip. So, you know, doing that definitely once a season is 
an absolute must. And it's really easy. It's the kind of thing that you can start first thing on Saturday morning, then go have a cup of coffee, and then by dinner time you flush it all out and it's over and done with. Mm-hmm. Now, super quick over- overview about the black and gray tank systems. We did cover this in episode two. Most of you would have listened to it. If you haven't, I highly suggest you go back and listen to that episode. It has been our most popular so far because it kind of talks about all of the nasty little things you encounter in your black and gray tanks and how to do it. But I think if you're new to travel trailers, just kind of knowing what it is, how it works, where where the valves are and things like that. Yeah, know where your black water tank is and know where the valves are and know how to hook things up and listen before you've used the trailer. If you feel comfortable, get all the hoses out and just kind of hook it all up in the driveway when there's no pressure involved. Mm-hmm. So go listen to episode two. But basically, the basics you want to know is that both the black water and gray water, they empty out the same pipe. So flush the black first, then flush the gray. So you're kind of cleaning out your sewer hose if you're flushing the gray second. So that's the only thing we're going to put in this episode, but please go uh, listen to episode two if you haven't already. And we already ran into somebody just this past Sunday ahead of us at the dump station who apologized for taking a bit of extra time because uh, he and his buddies on a guy's golfing trip had managed to create a poo mountain in the Blackwater tank and he wasn't sure how to get rid of it. So you have to take care of these kind of things if you want to take care of your rig. Yeah, it really, really adds up quickly for sure. So let's talk a little bit about tires. We've only had one flat tire on the trailer and that came at the end of our 10,000 kilometer road trip across North America. And fortunately it happened in front of the house. And what I learned is that RV tires don't last nearly as long as your car tire. We had put about 15,000 kilometers on those tires and the salesman at the dealership told me that was about 10,000 more kilometers than they were probably designed to hold. The tires that came with our trailer were not Michelins, they were not Goodyears, they were cheap tires. So what I would tell you is pay close attention to your tires, know that your tires will not last as long as your car, and that you should pay to have them rotated, and you should have them maintained and and changed. That not nearly as expensive as doing tires on your truck or your car, but well worth the money so that you don't have an unfortunate breakdown. Mm -hmm. And I would mention real quick about tires for those who are new, and I know this was something that Like when we first got this rig, I thought there was something wrong with it. You know, when you do a hard turn, it almost looks like the rims are bending. And but it's designed to do that, to make your turn as tight as it can be in this really long trailer. So if if you're backing in and you look at the the trailer tires and you think something's catastrophically wrong with the system because the tires look like they're bending in two different directions, perfectly normal. Yep. And I think we've learned a lot of this just by asking questions when we go in to get service and people are really in the RV industry are really helpful and want to explain how things work. Mm -hmm. How about awnings? Awnings. So this was a little bit of a surprise when we picked up our trailer, but fortunately we found out about it before we had any kind of crisis or catastrophe. We have a power awning that goes in and out with a switch inside the trailer. And the first thing that the salesman told us is this awning was not for rain. And I think we both gave ourselves a look and wondered why anybody would put an awning on that wasn't designed for rain. But at the end of the day, that awning is not designed for heavy rain. It's not designed for high winds. Not to say that we haven't 
had it out in a little bit of rain, but we've always kept a close eye on it. There are a couple things to know. In our particular awning, there is a bit of a fail-safe if there's too much weight that it will collapse to one side and let the water off. With all that being said, it was stressed to us not to rely on this. You might still end up with damage. There is also a little bar that you can purposely bend, and that will cause the awning to cant either to the front or the back, however you want to set it up. And that lets water drain off before too much accumulates. At the end of the day, though, we're conscious of keeping an eye on the weather forecast and if we're going to leave the trailer for the day and it looks like it might rain we bring the awning in just so it doesn't get caught in the wind mm-hmm. or overnight like if it, if it looks like it's going to rain overnight we'll usually take it in and I mean we have like you you have a light shower you still want to sit outside we'll sit underneath the awning we will purposely drop one side of the awning but you know I mean you you can kind of gauge for yourself the difference between a light rain and something where the winds are going to pick up particularly because it's an automatic awning our old manual awning would take a beating and keep on ticking right but it was a pain to bring out and it was a pain to put back in so you know there's some there's some pros and cons of both and I know a lot of maybe newer rigs have like an automatic setting where if it senses rain it'll it'll automatically come in but ours doesn't so good thing to keep an eye on. And I would just take a look and know what kind of awning that you have. If you take a walk around the campground, you're going to see people that have manual awnings and they stake them in and and that's fine too. But just know what kind of awning you have so that you're not replacing it unexpectedly. We just came back from a trip on Lake Huron and the winds were 31 to 50 miles per hour off the lake. And that's a pretty strong wind. I think we looked it up. and that's Gale force wind. Gale force winds. Mm-hmm. So appliances, particularly fridges. Now, keep in mind, this is kind of part one of a two-part episode because next week we're actually going to be talking about the really essential things you need to do before each and every trip. So that kind of like trailer walk around, safety check. We're also going to be looking at our top 10 picks for like RV essentials that you, that every camper needs to have in their rig. With that being said, we'll get into fridges in a little more detail and how we manage it and how long it takes to cool and all that kind of stuff in the next episode. Uh, But I guess the basics in terms of like what like determining what kind of fridge you have and how it runs yep so there are three types of fridge conveniently called a one-way a two-way and a three-way fridge a one-way fridge has one source of power typically that's 120 volts a two-way fridge runs off 120 volts or propane which would be our big fridge in the kitchen of the trailer and then you could have a three-way fridge which runs off of propane 120 volts or 12 volts Typically, those I have seen are usually a little bit smaller type bar type fridges. So in our particular trailer in the kitchen, we have a two-way fridge that runs on 120 volt and propane, and we use both sources, no problem. And then the outside kitchen has a small fridge. In this case, it's a one-way fridge, and it runs off of 120. Mm -hmm. So So it only works when we have power to the rig. Absolutely. So the stove, you know, using your stovetop, we don't use our stove a lot, hence why we had the manual out to look at the oven and how the oven works. We normally do 100% of our cooking outside just because we prefer it. It's the way we've done it since we were kids and we really enjoy cooking over the campfire. But not to say we've never used our appliances inside, like if it's cold or we need to boil water or what have you. And I roasted some vegetables in the oven on our most recent trip. But one thing to make note of is usually, you know, lighting the stovetop isn't gonna be much different than lighting gas stove in your kitchen at home where there's sometimes you're either going to use a match and then turn on the propane or you're going to have some kind of um, automatic the clicky thing (laughs) you'll have a clicky thing folks 
the clicky thing. The sparker. The sparker, whatever it's officially called. You know, you turn it and it clicks. But the oven, so normally how a lot of RV ovens work is that you will have a pilot light that you need to pre-light and then that pilot light stays on during your trip so that when you want to use the oven, then you just turn it to whatever temperature you want and then it automatically flares up. So if you're going to be using it frequently or you're there for some time, you probably just want to light the pilot light on once and then anytime you want to use the oven, uh, turn it on. So we were only using it the one time. So I lit the pilot, I turned on the oven, we cooked our things, and then I turned the whole system off, knowing myself that I would probably forget to turn off the pilot light when we left. So that's one thing to know if you are going to use your oven, make sure that you're turning on that pilot light or the oven won't work, and make sure you turn it off before you leave. Oh, rubber roofs. Rubber roof. So our trailer has a rubber roof, which helps keeps it waterproof. And one of the good things we learned on the walkthrough is that it needs to be washed once a year to keep that rubber malleable and soft enough to repel the rain and not dry out. So it's a really easy process for me. I do it once a year in the spring on the opening up procedures. I put the trailer in the driveway, I get a ladder out, I get a bucket, you pour Camco rubber roof conditioner into a a bucket, not unlike you would wash your car. You wet the roof, you put the soap on the roof, you scrub it, and then you rinse it off. And it's a really easy process, but it really takes care of that rubber roof. It's also another great time while you're up there just to have a good look at everything. Do the seals look like they're cracked or are they in good condition? It's just good to get up there and have a quick look at everything and make sure that you're not going to have any surprises. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for if you have a slide out, these rubber seals that kind of keep the slide out watertight when it's closed, those can kind of break down and get cracked and, and hardened over time. So there is an RV slide conditioner that you just spray on and wipe on, which winters are probably pretty harsh in Ontario where we live. So maybe once at the beginning of the season, once at the end, out of a little spray bottle and and wipe them down and you're good to go. Uh, Stabilizing jacks. We talked about this in depth on our last episode where we answered specifically a listener question about leveling your trailer, but it's worth mentioning again, and you will probably hear this from us all the time because of the amount of damage that we see in the RV community from new RVers who bust their stabilizing jacks. Unless you have an auto leveling system, in which case, congratulations, you're very fancy and we wish (laughs) that we had a rig like yours. Uh, But if you don't, The jacks are stabilizers only. They are not for leveling. So they are only there to take the rock out of the trailer, level on your wheels. Yeah. And then maybe the last thing to to know about, and we've had a few people reach out to us over the summer as they've got trailers, is know where your fuse panel is and have an assortment of fuses with you. So uh, we keep, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, and 30 amp fuses. It's a variety pack that I think I picked up at Canadian Tire. I know exactly where it is, and from time to time we blow a fuse. It's not a big deal. Just know where your fuse panel is. Check your fuses. Put the same size fuse in that you took it. Most of the fuses are going to all be located in one single part of the trailer. Now there probably will be a couple areas where there might be an extra fuse. For example, if you let your daughter help you with the electric jack and she doesn't turn it off quick enough, she will probably blow the fuse, and I know exactly where that fuse is, and it's located much closer to the hitch. And I pop a new fuse in and Bob's our uncle. 
Mm -hmm. I would say too, just piggybacking on that is kind of making sure you know where to access all of the manual things you need to do. Like if your automatic awning doesn't work, how do you reel that in yourself? If your automatic jack breaks or the fuse blows and you don't have another fuse, you know, we kind of pop the cover off the top and then there's a, a nut driver that we use to manually crank it up. Same thing with the slides. How do you get your slide in? And like ours has some kind of really long attachment that came with the trailer you can put on a drill to get the slide in if it doesn't come in automatically. So, you know, really kind of just pre-checking those things before you head out on the road in case they do happen is going to save you so much stress and infighting and all that kind of stuff. Listen, you know, probably not a bad idea to bring a small, modest toolkit with you. Have a few fuses on hand that know where your manuals are and know where adapters are to bring in the tip out if that system's power function should fail. Mm -hmm. And with that said, tune in next week when we talk about all of our top 10 picks for absolute must-haves for your trailer and talking about a pre-trip walkthrough that you should be doing. So that's it. Catch up with us on Instagram and Facebook. Check out the website at rvconnects.com for the show notes for this episode. As always, you'll have all of our show notes, transcripts for the episodes, and any links to any items we talk about or places we go. So we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.